Women Making Waves. Linda, I only went away for three days last week and, and coming back. And then I know we're going away in two weeks' time. But I have this real <laughs> sort of obsession about tidying the house. No matter how many days I'm away, it has to be tidy. Now, I think I've changed over the years because I don't think I am as obsessed about it as now as I, I would have been years ago. I mean, do you have that same sort of... I do, actually. Anytime I'm going away, I do need to keep... A nice, and and there's, I think there's a dual, dual reasons for this. And I think we need to explore this with you, actually, mm. um, Susie, to make mm. sure it's the same. So the dual reasons for this, one for me is I would like to come back into a nice, tidy house and not feel like I've got to do lots. So that, <laughs> that's one. And the other more sinister reason... I hope mm. you're sitting down, I is that I just think, well, you know, if anything happens to <gasps> me, touch wood, mm, a touch wood, if, it if I won't. never come yep. back, yeah, yeah, I want people to think of me as a tidy, clean person, you know, and, and that's not going to happen because they're going to find something. But, you know, I, I don't want people walking in and going, oh, my God. Look at that. Have you seen under there? <laughs> Which they're going to anyway, you know, obviously, because I can't clean absolutely everything. But is is there a little bit of that with you then? Are you thinking, oh, if anything happens in a fatalistic way? Well, I, I think it, I think you're right. It's it's making sure that if you don't come back for whatever reason, or maybe you extend your holiday and somebody's coming into you your run house, away. you yeah. run away, that they look and think, she was very tidy. Yeah. If nothing else. <laughs> if nothing she else. Ran, she ran off with that other bloke. But she was really... Very tidy. Very tidy. And yeah. we've always got to say that about her. <laughs> yeah. I've got to say, and I'm going to admit this on, on radio right now, Linda, but when I started going out with my husband, Simon, I started to live with him. And we would travel in together and... I was never as organised as Simon was before we left to go to work each morning. And I'd be pulling out the drawers and literally taking out things and not putting them back. Oh, my goodness. I know, I know, I know, pretty bad. Anyway, <laughs> one day or one week I came back and my sister-in-law, who also lived with us, she had to go into our bedroom to find something. And she said she thought that a burglar had been in. <laughs> Because everything was a mess and I, I was absolutely mortified. <laughs> so I think that's where it stems from. I've just got better and better. And did that change your life then, that comment? No, it didn't change my life. It, it didn't change my life, but it, it made me think that I probably was very messy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now there's point three for the going on holiday mm -hmm. as well. If a burglar yeah. comes in, I mean, you don't want to be thought badly by them, do you, really? No. You don't want them coming in going, well, there's no point in even starting here. I'm not going to find anything. I might as well just go home. I mean, you want them to come in. A burglar, when he arrives, or, or she, I suppose, when they arrive, yes, you know, a professional burglar, you want them to... <laughs> You want to be proud of what they find, really, don't you? Well, or, or maybe maybe it's a deterrent. Oh, if yeah. you're going away, maybe you've got this so wrong, Linda, before we go. Maybe we should keep it a mess because when they come in... Or make a, a, big, a yeah, bigger make a mess. a bigger mess. So when a burglar does come in, they think... Well, he I'm, thinks he's the second yeah. one to arrive. It's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's beat me to it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, what are we like? 
I, I, yeah, I, there is also a method in our madness, isn't there? But I, I, I think for you and for me, obviously, we have over the years we've discovered that that's what we like to do. We like to leave it tidy. Yeah, I that's think we do. There's nothing yeah. worse than coming back and looking round and, and and thinking, oh no, where do I start? And I've got all this washing to do. Yeah. You so know. I think we've created something that it's not an obsession as such. It's a, a habit that we want to get into. I think yeah. it, for me, it's a healthy habit. Mm-hmm. Now we're on to our first guest, aren't we? Claire Buckle, because she's done yes. something. Yes. Well, she developed a bit of an obsession during lockdown. She started, as, as many of us did, going out for walks and started noticing things in the countryside. And in particular, you know, all, all wildlife, really, you know, and the, the hedgerows and things like that. But in particular, she became rather obsessed and interested in hedgehogs. And we're going to be hearing from her about how it, her life kind of changed, really, during lockdown. Mm. Interesting story. It is a very interesting story. And then who do we have, Susie? Oh, we have Megan Swan. Now, it's so refreshing to talk to all our women, but particularly interesting for this week, we have the first first female president of the Magic Circle. And it's so important to say the first female president because it's an absolutely important moment, isn't it? Of course it is. Because when you think of magicians, I do tend to think of Paul Daniels and his ilk. But this lady got very interested in magic as a child and joined the Magic Circle at a very young age. Really interesting story as well. So another two great women to chat to this week. You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. Linda and I are delighted to welcome Megan Swan to Women Making Waves. Megan is the first female president of the Magic Circle. She is also a member of the Inner Magic Circle with Gold Star, the highest degree a member of the society can achieve. Now, Megan's Twitter handle says, Environmental magician, using magic as a communications tool to try to help save the planet. That's quite a new concept, Megan. We're really quite interested in this. You learned much of the craft of Young Magicians Club, a youth initiative also of the Magic Circle. So let's hit that. I'm really, really interested in this collaboration of magic and environmental part to it as well, Megan. Tell us a little bit about why you are not only a magician, but you are an environmental magician as well. I have always loved nature and animals and, and getting outside and I've grown up so I've been able to go out and visit loads of parks and I've got a local woodlands and places like that I've always loved nature and so I studied wildlife conservation at university the University of Kent in, in Canterbury and it really opened my eyes to some of the issues the world faces one thing that really came through was the importance of environmental education we've got so much technology and, and so many skills you know, we can solve so many of the problems the world is facing. We just need to change our behaviour and, and get everyone on board and, and, and working together to, to fix it. So my other love, obviously, has always been magic as well. And I've, I've always loved theming my magic and, and putting messages with what I did. And magic can be a really powerful communications tool. It's, it's a good way of catching people's attention and delivering a message in a fun way. And if you do it right, it can really help you to remember it and to get that message to go in. 
So it really made sense for me to put the two together and start doing the environmental magic. And as soon as I started doing it, I knew I'd found something that I absolutely loved. You're absolutely right, actually, Megan. There's no better way of getting a message over than putting a a different spin in it and a bit of entertainment rather than people feeling they're being kind of lectured to. To to explain things in that way is just fabulous. When did you start getting into magic? It's really interesting because, you know, you often see young boys interested in magic but not so much the girls or am I wrong there there are more women now interested in magic so magic definitely is male dominated there are women out there and I think it's increasing as well I'm seeing more girls in our young magicians club for example there's definitely more there than when than when I was a member magic it, it does seem to appeal to the boys more but I say girls can absolutely do magic and, and I hope that having me as the first female president of the magic circle will inspire a few more to take it up and, and to fall in love with it as much as I have. How old were you when you started? I first started magic when I was about five years old. I started with a children's magic set but I, I really got into it when I was eight. I had a magician for my birthday party and he really inspired me. It was also the day my little brother was born so it's quite life-changing. <laughs> that, <laughs> he, that's a special Yeah magic. it really was. <laughs> yeah my brother came early to try and get <laughs> Um, But the the magician, his name was Roy Marsh. I'm now good friends with him. He got me up, he got me involved and I absolutely loved it. So after that, I collected all of the magic sets going. By the time I was 10 and we heard about the Young Magicians Club, which is the Magic Circle's youth initiative, 10 is the age you need to be to join. So it was perfect. Mum sent me along and suddenly I got taught professional magic from some of the world's best magicians. And I got some amazing experiences and I had so much fun that I I went there pretty much every month for, for eight years and and never left really because here I am now as president of the Magic Circle. <laughs> Megan, it does seem really interesting that your mum and your family got behind you when you wanted to start your your magic magician journey. Is your family a magician orientated? Did they have they always loved magic, or was it just something that you discovered and they wanted to help you along the way? My family are not performers or into magic at all. <laughs> um, they yeah, definitely encouraged me. I, yeah, very lucky they always encouraged me to do anything I wanted to do I had many hobbies when I was little but magic was was definitely one of the main ones and my mum used to have to read all the instructions to me and apparently while I went to school she used to sit there working them out and, and then so when I came home she could explain how to do it <laughs> um, so my mum bless her put a lot of work into into helping me and as I got older my, my dad would come with me to conventions and drive me to shows and I had a fabulous opportunity via the Magic Circle sponsorship to go and study in Vegas for a week but I was because I was under 21 I I couldn't go on my own (laughs) Uh, so my dad had to come with me and spend a week in Vegas (laughs) which was oh shame (laughs) (laughs) yeah shame Um, yeah so I think he enjoyed it Uh, so they've been very very supportive and my dad did actually join my my local magic club as well so like he, he got involved but it's definitely always been my passion and the thing that they've supported me with. And did you have to practice a lot? Were you kind of practicing hours and hours at a time? Did you put a lot of work into it? Oh yes, it does take a lot of work. Uh, I've always always had to work quite hard. I remember trying to do it alongside GCSEs and being rather frustrated and I had to revise for, for school because I couldn't get on with the competition I was wanting to enter at the time. Uh, it does take a lot of work, but when you enjoy it, it, you don't notice it so much. Now, we read somewhere that, and I'm quite shocked, not until 1991, the Magic Circle started to admit women. Mm. 
Did you find when you were growing up and accessing all the fantastic experiences from the magicians and obviously having lots of mentors, did you find you were in a world of men or it just didn't bother you because you were quite young and so you were making your mark and really you didn't sort of sort of experience that culture at the time? <laughs> so, yes, the Magic Circle first admitted women in 1991. It was rather late. The society was set up in 1905 when at the time it was perfectly normal to be a completely male organization but yeah it did, did take a while to to fix that but obviously now it's done it's you know everyone is is really welcoming and it's I've grown up in a world where I've always been able to join the magic circle I was I was born almost a year later so I've been very lucky I'm aware that I've had all those experiences open to me I've been able to join and, and never had that as a barrier but I do remember the first time I turned up at the young magicians club was the first time I realized there weren't really many girls doing magic it just hadn't occurred to me or my family. I remember when I was younger seeing in the, the Argos catalogue all the, the children's magic sets and I was thinking, why are they in the boys' toys section? They're not boys' toys. That's that's ridiculous. Why, why are they there? Argos have got it wrong. What are they doing? <laughs> um, and looking back, oh, yeah, of course, that, that makes sense. So it was it was a bit of a shock as a 10-year-old girl to walk into a room full of about 80 boys. It, it was quite scary. And I'm so grateful that, that a couple of other girls did turn up eventually. And well, I don't know what would happen if they hadn't because I, I probably would have felt really uncomfortable. I, yeah. I, I don't know that I'd still be doing magic now if, if those girls hadn't turned up. So I'm, mm, yeah, I'm always grateful that they were there. And there were times over the years where I was the only girl, but by then I'd got my confidence and, and I knew that I loved magic. And I saw many come for one visit and never come back. And I can't say for sure it's because it was so many boys, but it must have put some people off. It is a weird world to grow up in. It does take a bit of confidence to, to put up with the fact it is very male dominated. There are many, many stories that are not quite so pleasant from the magic world as, as you know, any place you could go, go into a bar and you can get some uncomfortable stories as a woman as well, obviously. So it's, it's not without its challenges. And I've, I've always felt like I stood out. But I think one good thing in magic and as a performer is that you, you do need to stand out in order to be successful, you, you need to be different. And so I think I've harnessed that. And I, I learned pretty early on that actually being different is a really good thing. And you should embrace who you are and all that makes you unique. And, and that will help you to succeed. And all those things that made me different when I was younger are now what are making me successful. Was it tempting when you left the school, rather than go to university, just to take up magic as a career and make that your main source of earning your, your living? Um, <laughs> I, I didn't really consider that at the time. I wasn't earning money from magic so much. And I've, I've always been quite academic as well. And so I've always, I have always loved nature. I kind of knew I was going to go to university. And when I was at university, I still did magic. I, I ran a magic society there. I think I was VP of that before I even officially enrolled in the, the uh, course. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I was always very heavily involved and, and that, that was a really valuable experience for me. Running that society undoubtedly helped me to get more involved with the magic circle when I came back. And I, I think that's a, a really useful experience that has helped me to get to where I am. So no, I, I didn't really consider it. Some people do. It, it wasn't for me. Megan, when you started out becoming a magician, and obviously you've done extremely well, your journey has been pretty successful and it's very inspirational. But when you first started, being a magician is all about performance, isn't it? So you obviously learned that from your mentors. But, you know, it's a big thing, isn't it, to go out on stage, not only to do your craft, but actually in front of lots of people. <laughs> yeah, it, it does take a lot of confidence. And originally, 
I used to get really nervous on stage, especially if I was speaking to people. It, it would be my speech that would go. And, and to this day, I still speak way too quickly when I go on stage. I'm, I'm aware of that. Probably right now as well. Um, but I, <laughs> another thing I used to do was ballet. And and I, I mentioned about embracing what makes you unique and, and, and really harnessing that. So I started doing a, a ballet-themed stage act. I, I realised the boys weren't going to do that. So I thought I might as well stand out from the crowd even more. And I found that doing a performance to music really helped me because it meant I didn't have to worry about what I was going to say. And that really helped me to build my confidence. And over the years, I've got more and more stage time and, and that's helped me to develop and, and now have the confidence to go out and speak to people as well. I think that's a great idea, incorporating that, because you're right. If your competitors, let's call them, or your peers are all, or mostly males, <laughs> Most of them probably won't want to take that kind of turn. So that's that's a great idea. And again, it was something else I loved. I think if I had just learned it just to be different, I don't think it would have worked. It's because it, it did suit me and it was something I enjoyed doing. It, it was just, I got to be myself on stage. And I think that's what really worked. Yeah, it would help. And do you do close-up magic or is it mainly from stage, kind of a slight distance away from people? I do prefer being on stage and cabaret style. So even if it's not in the theatre, it's... You know, presenting at the front of an audience that that is my thing that's what I absolutely love I do do some close-up especially my environmental magic I do a few routines going around and presenting to people but my, my first love will always be the stage and I don't know why it's just something about having an audience there and everyone engaged at once that I, I just love that we've said before that you are the first female president of the magic circle now this, this is a voluntary role isn't it <laughs> Megan but a lot of hard work goes into this I don't think people realize how much work goes in to support magicians around globally and of course the UK but the role of the president can you tell us a little bit about that so the role of the president is to be a figurehead I'm the, the person that I get to give out the awards and, and do the, the nice things like that. I get to choose who becomes a member of the inner magic circle. And so that's that, that highest degree. That's in my gift, which is a real honour. You're only allowed 300 people at once in total. So you have to be quite restrictive on who you give it to. I also get to, I sit on the council and, and with a team of us, we're, we're leading the society, so the day-to-day -day running of the club. But obviously we have committees and, and, and lots of people volunteering in various different roles, but also the sort of more strategic direction. And I get to share my voice and and sort of really try and influence council's decisions. I, I'm not a, a CEO. You know, it's not what I say goes. It's, it's very much a, an influencing leadership type role rather than a, a boss, exactly. But that's I think that's right for a, a voluntary organisation. And the Inner Magic Circle, I've, I've heard about this before, and it's, it is very exclusive, isn't it? You said there's only 300 people in it at one time. And what's the criteria for acceptance? Have you got to be a really great magician? Have you got to be really expert in, in magic? So MIMC could be given for different reasons. If you get the gold star with it, then that is indicating that you're a performer of of repute you have to be a, a good enough performer it is a little bit subjective to say it's literally my decision um, although the council can stop me if, if I make a bad one um, but, uh, <laughs> but it's so you have to be a, an excellent magician in order to get uh, MIMC with gold star but I can also give it for services either to the magic circle or to the magic community so there are some fantastic people out there who maybe aren't performers but are, are really helping to take magic to another level 
we have within our membership, we have some people who are brilliant inventors of magic tricks, or brilliant authors, historians, um, people who make props. And there are some really skilled, amazing people out there. So it's not always for a performance, but if you've got the gold star, then that, that's what that indicates. My son's friend wanted to become a magician and you would ask him how you would do a certain piece of magic. And he would obviously say, and quite rightly, I cannot tell you that is my own private. So is it is it very hard to keep your secrets when you're doing a magic show, when you're planning? It's a very secretive thing. You know, if you well, if you want to know what's happening behind that that craft, do you have to keep it very secret? I wouldn't go out and reveal secrets to the public. Yes, that's that's one of our core rules of the magic circle is that you don't reveal secrets. It's something we're we're quite famous for. And it does, it spoils it. If everyone knows how it's done, it spoils it not just for, for the magic you're seeing me perform, but also for other magicians. Many of us do have routines that are based on similar principles. And you know, once you know a few, you might be able to work out some others as well. So it is important to keep secrets. But equally, we will share secrets with other magicians. We can teach others. And, and that not exposing tricks rule is, is for members of the public and people who aren't interested in learning. As magicians, we come together at the Magic Circle every Monday. We have a, a members evening where we have lectures and we share information. We have sessions of so people teaching each other tricks. We've got a library full of books you can go and learn tricks from. And of course, you can buy them as well from, from magic shops and, and dealers and um, other magicians within the community. So we, we can definitely share secrets, but you don't just go and tell the world either. If you, you know, go on TV <laughs> and tell everyone secrets, and it spoils mm. it for everyone. And it, it just takes the fun out of it. It's much more fun when you're the only one that knows. (laughs) (laughs) Going to a party, I'm kind of just thinking, it must be like working for you. Are your friends always badgering you to to entertain them when you're out and about with them? My friends are very good. They they know now not not to do that. (laughs) But they've kind of seen all the tricks I'm going to perform. I don't, I don't. I'm not the sort of person who just keeps learning new new tricks all the time. I, I like to work on the, uh, the tricks that I love and, and hone and improve them and, and, and do the same tricks, but to different people rather than different tricks to the same people. So, my, yeah, my friends are quite good. I don't have to do too many. But when I know I'm going to meet new people, I, I tend to throw something in my bag. But as I said, my, my love really is the stage. So it's quite hard when you don't have a huge repertoire close up tricks either. <laughs> Going back to the likes of Paul Daniels, who was, you know, one of the well, famous uh, magicians, Paul Daniels. The bit I found really strange when watching all these magicians on TV shows is when they said they were going to slice a woman in half. Now, are those sort of tricks and performances, do they still go on? Do you not find it was really weird that they were not chopping up a man as opposed to a woman? <laughs> um <laughs> So I've, I mean, I've grown up in the world where that wasn't really on the TV so much. But I, I do see illusionists. There are some fantastic illusionists out there, and they're not all slicing up women. I know of people who, you know, cut men up as well, and <laughs> you know, stick blades in or whatever. There's, there's so many amazing illusions out there. It's still very much a, a, a brilliant form of magic, and, and there are some, say, some fantastic performers out there. I think the world has moved on, and I think if they're just going out and just cutting up women. And, and not giving any thought to the performance or how that comes across. And I, I don't think that necessarily goes down so well with the modern audience. But there are there are ways around it. And magicians, if nothing else, are brilliant at, at being creative and, and coming up with new ways of doing things. And magic will just keep adapting and keep evolving. And yeah, so it still exists, but in, in very different formats. 
I'm kind of assuming that the the glamorous assistant, skimpily dressed, <laughs> is a thing of the past as well. I'm, I'm assuming in most cases. Mm, most cases. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have seen some. <laughs> um, yeah, there are there are still some people out there that try it. You know what? Some women want to wear outfits like that as well, and that's fine. I think there's a, there's a balance. You know, I think if if the man's forced it to, then that would be a problem, wouldn't it? But I, I don't think anyone would would go out on stage if they weren't comfortable with that and I would hope not I would hope the, the woman would say no now but yeah. it, I wouldn't say it's completely yeah. a thing of the past but I think generally magic has developed so much more it's not that old-fashioned image that so many people mm. have still got in their head yeah so Megan you've made a great career out of this did you think you would be where you are now when you were I don't know maybe 15 when you were really getting into becoming a magician did, did you think this is where you wanted to be did you have a plan for this no <laughs> <laughs> not at all I I still pinch myself I, I'm still I don't quite know how I've become present in the magic circle already it's 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 amazing uh, if you'd have told 10 15 year old Megan that this was going to happen she she wouldn't have believed you even when I, I ran for my first role really within the magic circle was the secretary which was one of the officer roles and, and I was the first woman to to take that on as well but when I did that it wasn't with a view to becoming president I just I just wanted to get involved. I wanted to do something. It was a role I knew I could do and, and, and I enjoyed doing it. I'd, I'd come back from university and I knew I was going to miss running the club there. So I wanted to do something at the Magic Circle. And I probably would have thought, yeah, it'd be nice one day, but I, I certainly didn't expect it to happen as quickly as it did. I just kept going and I just loved the Magic Circle and, I, and I'm thrilled that they've they've voted me in. It's it's a real honour and I'm really proud that I'm, I'm able to keep promoting the society and, and magic for, for women as well. Is there a trick? that you want to do and you just can't master. Is there such a thing or are you fine with everything? <laughs> uh, well, I haven't learned every trick out there. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure there will be something I haven't mastered. There, there are things that I, I start working on and they don't quite suit me. Uh, you know, there are lots of different types of tricks out there and it's about finding the ones that suit your style. I, very much when I was starting out, I tried lots of different things and, and they wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily work. I... I tend to stick with the things I know work for me and, and now I know what I'm looking for and I, I very much found my my niche, <laughs> um, the environmental magic. I, I have a good feeling of what will work and what won't and, and I will just make sure I can learn it. So nothing that I haven't been able to learn yet, but there are things that just haven't quite worked out for me. You were talking at the beginning of the interview about the involvement of the environment. Can you give us an example of something that you do? And I think it's mainly for children that you do this, where you explore the in environment in your trip. <laughs> so I, I actually perform it for adults as well now. I, I probably need to update my website. But <laughs> yeah, I, I started performing it mainly for children in schools, but I, I've developed more and more routines and, and sort of got to older children, so teenagers and, and adults as well now. So it's, it's, it works for everyone, just slightly different routines and, and different messaging. I think the the easiest example to explain is probably my my first environmental trick I came up with really is the the classic trick where you you tear up a newspaper and restore it, but I use that to talk about deforestation. So I'll, I'll talk about some of the sort of the numbers of trees that are being cut down and you know, the, the the reasons we're cutting them down. And then before I restore it, I talk about some of the things we can do to help. So for children, I, I'm encouraging them to recycle paper, and for adults, it, it may be to you think about how you invest in your money because you know, pensions can contribute to deforestation. There, there, there are lots of different ways. And then restore it, saying if we work together, then hopefully we can help to protect our forests that are there for future generations as well. 
Have you had any resistance to magic? Has there been something that people have just not particularly liked or or you found that it's not for them? People not liking magic? Yeah, I know. It's a <laughs> weird question. Weird but question. I there know. are people that say they don't like magic. I don't really get it after I've performed. I think some people have a, an old-fashioned view of what magic is. I think it still has that image of solving the lady in half or pulling the rabbit out of the hat or you know men in top hat and tails and whilst those sorts of magic can exist in in a modern way people haven't realized that magic's not just that you know there, there are some amazing magicians out there doing so many different things and I think if someone says they don't like magic I normally say how much magic have you actually seen to make that judgment because to me it's like saying I don't like art you need to find a style that you do like. How would you tell a younger version of yourself now how would you tell other younger people that this is a very good career to get into um, you're sending not only a message of being creative and performing, which is something I think is wonderful and it's a, a very good thing to do. But also people are learning from you, not only from a magician point of view, but an environmental. What would you tell a younger person? You can do all the things you love in one go. <laughs> um, before I did this, I, I felt like it was two very different lives. And, and, and even now people don't always see the you know Everyone asks, how did you get into that? But when you followed my life, it makes total sense for me to have put the two together now that I've done it. But you know, environment and magic, they seem so separate. If, you, if you're getting into magic, magic can be so interesting. You, can, you, know, you think of any kind of arts, I guess you, you can do so much with it. Magic's the same. You can, I've combined ballet with it. I've talked about my different hobbies, and now I talk about the environment. There's an amazing charity called Breathe Magic, and they, they teach children with hemiplegia. It's, it's a form of physiotherapy and literally helping them to be able to do basic things like tie up their shoelaces and clean their teeth and, and put their clothes on. And, and it's, there's some amazing uses for magic out there. So it's, it's, not, just a, it's not just a performance art. It, it can be done. It can do so much more. So whatever you love, you can combine it with magic and, and just be who you want to be. Thank you, Megan Swan. It's been so lovely having you here on Women Making Waves today. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks, Megan. So that's all we have time for today on Women Making Waves. Our thanks to our guests, Claire Buckle and Megan Swan. We are always on the lookout to feature women living extraordinary lives. So please do contact us if you know of someone who we should be talking to. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at WomenMakingWaves. You can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website womenmakingwaves.co.uk where you can hear all of our interviews. Bye for now. Goodbye. Goodbye.